Hello to all of you out there. I am Ulrike Seminati, host of the podcast Empowering Female Leaders for Women Who Want to Thrive. Every week you will get new perspectives, exciting insights, and empowering messages of women from all over the globe. Welcome to another episode of my podcast, Empowering Female Leaders. I'm pleased to welcome today Tamara Lur, an Australian native wife and mother of two who started her first business at the age of 19 after graduating college with a Bachelor of Visual Arts. Her sweet equity model led her to winning a range of global awards, including a gold winner in the fast-growing company of the year category in the 2016 Stevie Awards for Women in Business. Tamara has become globally known as a leading wellness entrepreneur and is the first Australian investor to commit, buy one, give one to all her assets. She's proud to use her platform to share how women can have blended lives between family, business and self without compromises. Tamara, you have evolved, as you say, from a frustrated creative spirit in small town rural Australia to the leader of a global tribe of beauty influencers leading today a double-digit million business. Can you give us some insights into your journey? Well, I've been doing it a long time. 25 years as a serial entrepreneur, you uh, get to master your art. But it's interesting that you say creative because I think what women are uh, are really good at and we have as our advantage is that we're naturally creative and when we think about entrepreneurship it, it is really about problem solving and, and approaching those in a creative different manner. The other thing that I think women really possess is gut instinct which we're told to ignore and to you know make sure we lead with our head but uh, there's been a lot of studies recently that show that when you lead with your head heart and they're both coherent and you drive with your gut instinct that they make for better leaders. So I think we also have that on our side. But for me, it's always been about wanting to grow and evolve and make a positive impact. Most women, it's important for you to thrive, you know, survive first and then thrive. But then you get to a point where it's about, okay, uh, it's never been money for me. How do you show up and serve and make a difference and live a purposeful life through, you know, something like work is so important and it does impact your community, the people around you, your family. So for me, that evolution from getting out of survival mode to thriving and then discovering what's possible, that's really been my journey is how do I move towards that purpose-driven leadership and really use business as a force for good. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a purposeful life that many people are striving for. How did you come to this? Because it's not so easy to find this own purpose, to find and define our own values, everything that is behind that. How did you start? Yeah, so I think what was really interesting for me is there was a few battle scars. You know, in business, you go through things and you wonder, you know, why did it happen? And I had a lot of voices in my head. Most people do. And it was, how do I make decisions with confidence? And I was really searching for that. So I got a life coach and I had a business coach and I had a mentor. So I really worked on defining what that was for myself. And your values rarely change. So there's a huge difference between values and purpose. So values are things that rarely change. And these are really your core beliefs 
And I use them as my compass for decision-making. You usually have about five and it's, it's, there's an exercise to go through it. And I've um, put that in my book as well around how do you define your values? So for me, it's creativity. The first thing you mentioned, doing the opposite. I usually go in and like to disrupt or innovate and do things a little bit differently than what it's been done for the last 50 years. Impact. So obviously it's all about impacting people, planet and business. The fourth one is freedom. So an office where I'm stuck in their nine to five, bricks and mortar doesn't suit me as a business. That's why I'm in direct consumer online. Most of my business is online because it gives me the freedom to be able to travel and work from home and do all the things that are important to me. So when you look at what your core values are and they don't change, then I get very good at saying no based on that. And and opportunities come and go. And when you lead with abundance and you're out there actively, um, not just manifesting, but actively out there pursuing uh, your dreams, lots of opportunities come. And at that point, you could say yes to all of them because they're all great opportunities, but it's what you say no to that's more important. And how I do that is I just go through my values and I go, can I make impact through this business? Are my values aligned with this person? So I find out what their values are as a core person first, because otherwise it's going to implode as a business partnership. Does this give me freedom or am I going to be stuck in this business for the next 10 years and not being able to get that flexibility that I need and I want? So I ordered it and, and if just one of them is out, it's a no from me. And I, I got very good at picking Picassos, as they say. So values are very important, not only in business, but also outside of that. You'll probably go back, once you do the values exercise, if you look back at all the struggles that you've had, and I wouldn't call them mistakes because there's no such thing as, as mistakes, there's only lessons. And, you know, it's a mistake if you let that thing reoccur and you don't learn your lesson. But when I look back at all my struggles and I evaluate them quickly against my values, one of one of them was out, one or two of them was out. And then I go, well, no wonder it imploded or no wonder that relationship didn't work or no wonder that friendship fell apart or we went out separate ways because there wasn't an alignment on values. That makes me really think about my values because I always speak about values, but I realize that I don't apply them to my own life as uh, clearly as you do. I know them, but this very active application of it, like using it like a, well, a checklist, you really check, is that the right thing to do? And only if it fits to all five or four values, that makes a true difference in life. It's like a compass. So it's a compass to your purpose. So you can't go, sorry to butt in, I just forgot to tell you about the purpose piece. So the purpose piece, it's your reason for existing, the problem that you solve that makes a positive impact. So as a personal purpose, that is you're born with a seed of potentiality. Every single person is. So a lot of people, unfortunately, don't figure out their purpose. So when you get up every day and know that you're living into your purpose, whatever that may be, and it's quite easy to define once you have your values and you understand why you were put on this planet. Everyone's been put here for a reason. So Once you figure that out, I see my values as my compass to getting to my purpose quicker and, and living, you know, a life of purpose, which is really just showing up in ease, courage and grace in everything that we do and, and leading with abundance and serving others and giving more than you take. So to me, that's my purpose-driven underlying principles. And then obviously mine is to bridge the gap of female entrepreneurship and to create business as a force for good to address 
the world's problems because I feel governments and NGOs, all those sorts of things can't do this alone. Business needs to step up and take a more active lead in that. So that's that's my purpose. I think by giving this example, people can better understand what a purpose can be because that's often very fluffy to many people. They don't really know what does that mean? Is it a description of my future role? No, it isn't. It goes much deeper and it is something that is reflected in all areas of your life. I would like to go into one of your values, which is probably the most surprising one, which is do the opposite. And I have seen in your biography that this is something that was leading your way really a lot in your life and is pretty specific to your way of thinking as far as I understand. Can you tell us more about it? Yeah, well, I think, you know, when people say to me, this is the way it's always been done, I'm always been even since a little kid, but why? Why do we have to do it that way? For me, a lot of things don't serve us as women, as mothers, as as members of the community. So if something's innately flawed or doesn't work anymore or has become obsolete or just damn right old-fashioned, then I go, well, why don't we do things differently? So I'm kind of that one. I'm known as the visionary. My business partner is the integrator. So I'm always thinking about what is the bigger vision here and how can we change this and put it in a direction that's really positive. So I'll give you an example. In my hair care company, when I started that one, everyone said to me, okay, well, when you've got a hair care company, you need to sell through hairdressing salons, right? That's how you grow a hair care brand. And I'm like, why? And they were like, well, how else are you going to sell it? And I went, well, in all fairness, you know, when you go to a hairdresser, it's all about chemicals, which I'm very anti-chemicals, and you look great for a couple of days. And after you wash your hair, it's back to you just trying to figure out how to make it look good, right? And blowouts aren't good or and they're expensive. And who has the time to do that every five days? So I kind of said, well, let's do this differently. Why don't we say that we're not found in hairdressers. We're all about quality hair at home and healthy hair at home and going back to wrapping and different things that you can do with your hair to style it that's heat-free. And instead of selling in hairdressing salons, I'm going to sell in health food stores. And everyone thought I was mad. But that's ended up a way bigger channel and it also gave me the freedom because when you have to sell into hairdressers, you need sales teams, you need to visit them regularly, whereas with health food stores, there's more of them. There's more foot traffic. I didn't need sales reps. I only needed a distributor. So it ticked my freedom box as well. I'm always like, but why are we doing it this way? Because we've always done it that way. That's not an answer. <laughs> yeah, it's about thinking out of the box and doing things that are totally unexpected. But this comes to something that many women struggle with, which is going against expectations, against what they think is normal, what they should do, how they have learned to, to do things and, and just following what is expected from them. Were you always like that, that for you it was easy to just do something different or did you have to learn that? Look, I think social sliming definitely has a huge part of it. There's expectations from society around what we should do. And I will also say that women aren't very kind to other women either. There's a lot of that. But I did play the first 10 years of my entrepreneurial career trying to be that corporate. So even though I was a creative, I, I would suppress that and try and be one of them. What I realized now that I'm older 
is that that was my superpower. Why was I suppressing it? Yes, that might have made me a little louder in the room and I didn't have an MBA, but why is that a bad thing? And and being told things like don't mix business and pleasure, like don't mix the two. Being a CEO is a lonely game. You know, I would show up with my team and share everything with them. If I was having a vulnerable moment, I would tell them that. If I didn't have an answer, I would tell them that. And they were all seen as weaknesses. And it wasn't until I started to get some really good traction and it was a mentor who said to me, you do realise that all this stuff that you're keeping a secret inside your business, which is why I became an entrepreneur, because I didn't want to do all that corporate stuff. I wanted to create business and create a life for myself that didn't have those rules applied. So I went, well, the obvious thing is to start a business then and then I can do it my way in my little space. But it was when a mentor come in and said to me, actually, the fact that you're blending everything, that you're you have meetings at home, you let people work flexible hours. This is all 10, 15 years ago before COVID. People could work remote. We were very much vulnerable. We would have bucket lists and everyone would know each other's bucket lists and everyone would have soul fillers and we'd be talking about the things that we loved. We knew everyone's families. The kids would be in the office on the school holidays. Family first was always our thing. He said, this is why you have big businesses because you do not get to over $10 million in revenue on your own. You can get to 1 million on your own and it's a bit of hard work, but to get to 10 million, it takes a team and it takes a team that are committed like that business is their own and you've been able to create that. So instead of keeping that like a little secret, why don't you go and share that formula with people because that's what people are wanting. That's really what employees and team members have been looking for all along. There are so many great business ideas out there. And you know what's the most important thing? Execution and timing. Timing is 50% of everything. And sometimes timing, it's just, it's a great business, but it might not be the right time. Imagine if Uber had to come out 10 years, you know, 15 years ago, as opposed to when it did. There's a lot of businesses that have thrived during COVID because their timing was now. There's a lot that suffered, might have started in hospitality or something like that. Their timing wasn't right. So timing is really important. And you know what I find is that it's really easy to have an idea. The hardest bit is the execution. That's usually where people give up. Mm. Yeah, that's right, because you need to be consistent, you need to be persistent, and sometimes that's really difficult, especially if you're working alone. And many female entrepreneurs just start off all alone, and that's very hard. Startup sucks. It really does. 99 things out of 100 you do are going to be wrong. But if you are aware of that and you believe in it enough and you're not just doing it for money because you'll give up at 50, 60 if you're just doing it for money because you go, this isn't worth it. I'm never going to get rich doing this. But if you're doing this because you genuinely want to solve a problem and you care about it deeply and you want to make a difference, that will get you to 100. And then when you find that one thing, that's when you go, I know how to do this now. You've built it, you've optimized it, then you start to scale it. So you know when you see those hockey sticks in most businesses, that's them going one, two, three, four, all the way to 99, and then they find that one thing and then and they go, excellent, and off they go. But most people give up before that. 
And I think most people give up exactly at the moment where they could start going up. <laughs> yeah, you see that little thing where someone's digging and then there's like, they're this far away. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. In the very last moment before yeah, it happened, yeah. Hmm. Another one of my favorite sayings is fail quickly. If you can see it's not working, when you start a business, all my businesses don't look anything remotely like what they were when they first started. We go out there and we think that that's what people want. But the most dangerous thing is for you to spend two years building it and then run out of time and money and only spend 10 months testing it. I say to people, I don't even care if you don't have a website, get a landing page up, get a minimum viable product up and go out there and start selling it and get customer feedback and see what works. And you're going to have to change your business and morph to suit the market and find out what they want. And then once you've done that, you've had two years of testing instead of two years of build mode, then you really have a business because then you can scale it. You've got to try those 99 things. But unfortunately, a lot of people get so hung up on what their business needs to look like. I'm very quick at failing. I'll go, I have a great idea. And then if it doesn't work, I'm like, well, that sucked. Let's go to the next one. Like I fail very quickly and go, all right, on to the next idea and on to the next idea. So it's your ability to be able to do that. And entrepreneurship isn't that sexy when you think about how much you fail. You actually lose <laughs> more win, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you need the courage to fail as well, you know, to give it all these tries. Because without these, you, said, you called it struggles before, without these struggles, you cannot move on, you cannot grow, you cannot evolve, and you will never get to this famous product where you see, wow, this is really working. They really want that. <laughs> exactly. And you've got all those lessons. And that's the thing when people come to me and they go, oh, I'm such a failure. I've had two failed business attempts. And I'm like, How's that failure? Did you learn lessons? And they're like, absolutely. I would never do this again. I'd never do that again. And I'm like, so you've got a pretty cool toolkit of entrepreneur lessons. So now we're just going to take this toolkit to this next job site and we're going to try again. So the same goes with working and, you know, jobs and all that sort of stuff. It's just lessons, right? And you're building up your little toolkit. It's just nicer if you can avoid some of that. So I've always had mentors so that instead of me having to learn the lesson through my back pocket and through time and tears, <laughs> let's be honest, a mentor can go, oh, here's my experience of what I, when I tried to do that. And I would rather learn from other people's lessons than from making them myself. So I surround myself with people who are turning over 500 million and a billion and all these huge, I'm always a little fish in my group. When I first started, I was around people who were millionaires. When I got to a million, I went, okay, I want to hang around people who are doing 10 million because I want, not because of the money, I want to learn the lessons that they got to get to 10 so that I can fast track my journey. And I just, I go in as a little fish and a sponge and I just ask lots of questions. And it, it took me 10 years to get to a million. It took me two years to get to 10 million after that. It's always the beginning, which is much more difficult. Once you get over a certain threshold, I guess it's running much smoother. Another question to this, to exactly this, if you want to have a mentor who is the bigger fish than we are, how do we approach these people? Because it's obviously intimidating and you wonder why should they spend time with me? How did you approach these people? Well, don't forget that you are within 5% of the people you spend 95% of your time with. So surround yourself with people that you want to be like. And, and I'm not saying just money-wise, values-wise, 
role model wise, whoever that is. So you don't necessarily have to go and say, oh, mentor me, but find people that inspire you. And I used to absorb everything. One of the people that I respect the most is Paul Polman, who's the ex-CEO of Unilever. I've only met him a couple of times. He's certainly never mentored me, but I tell you what, I've seen every podcast, read every article. I've read his book about three times. So you can still absorb material and be inspired by people that might be at arm's length. But start hanging out and then look for opportunities where you can ask. If you don't ask, you don't get, as far as I'm concerned. So, But unfortunately for women, there's a real scarcity of eight-figure mentors, which is why I took on the mentor role in YPO, Young Presidents Organization that I'm part of, because I feel very passionate about the fact that they keep saying to me, we've only got 10% of women as members because you have to turn over 20 million before you're 40. And they, they keep saying to me, there's not many of you. And I said, well, the reason being is because women can't get to 20 million because of lack of capital, because of lack of mentorship, lack of opportunity. So I'm now making sure that I mentor as many as I can to get them fast track their journey so that they can be at the big end of town because we're only going to do it by supporting other women. And I, I fear that there's a lot of people out there selling courses and are coaches, which is great, but they've never done it before. So I, I learn the most from people who've done it before. And that's a mentor as far as I'm concerned. So surround yourself with those people, get into the groups of those people, ask as many people as you can to mentor you, define your values, define what role models inspire you and start a hit list. You know what? Ask a hundred people. One might say yes. Hmm. What do you have to lose? <laughs> You're doing it. 99. It's the 99 and one rule again, right? <laughs> I'm always the, the Aussie who's willing to go up and say, okay, so <laughs> I know thousands of people here today have asked you to mentor them. <laughs> so let me just put my hat in the ring there and tell you why. Yeah. I would love it. When you are mentoring women in this organization, which is, I think, a really great insight into what are the current problems, issues, struggles, what are the most common pitfalls that you see that women struggle with? So there's three main things, obviously, the access to capital, the confidence to take the leap. They really need um, to feel like they have all their ducks in a row, whereas men will just go, I'm just going to go for it. So that confidence level and then... The, the strategy, definitely the foundations for how to get there. So the education on entrepreneurship, which is why if you're interested in a great book, Gino Wickman is a good friend of mine and he wrote Leap Entrepreneur. And that's a great book for how to take the leap um, into entrepreneurship. But I feel that those three things, now we can't do a lot about the capital thing, that that's not going to go away anytime soon. So I'm more interested in women not investing all their money in creating a product that they don't know how to sell. The first thing I say to women, if you want to make the transition to entrepreneurship, you need to get a side hustle on first to, that frees up and covers your wage so that that's set and forget. Because you're not a great entrepreneur if you're stressing about how do you put food on the table for your children. That does not work, right? So the first thing is how do you get a side hustle going that can cover your, uh, what I call the BAMs, the bare ass minimums, so that you can then learn the art of entrepreneurship. And going out and selling other people's businesses or or not putting $100,000 into stock, hoping that you'll sell it. Create a community first, create customers first and talk to them. 
and then you can sell into that community. So I feel women get it, everyone, not just women, startups, they get it around the wrong way. They go and spend all this time, money and effort developing the product and then they don't have any customers. So why don't you go out there and create that online, start speaking about that problem, become an expert in that area. You know, you can go out and talk about hair care problems or skin problems or whatever you're passionate about and start a Facebook group and start leaning into that community and finding out what they want. So by the time you launch your product, it's sold out. And you can go, hey, I'm look, take them on the journey. Hey, I'm starting out with, uh, you know, starting my own skincare. Tell me, what is it that you're looking for? Are these things important to you? What sort of price range? Get the feedback from them and take them on that journey and then launch that product rather than a lot of them will pay up front. Women are very generous. 60% of the money in crowdfunding goes uh, from women investing in, in crowdfunding. So 60% of women get that money. So that tells me that women are, are really wanting to support other women in business. These are some very concrete tips, actually, on how to do things in the right order, in, in an order that makes sense. And that finally fits um, the needs of your future customers. Because as you said before, it's something that needs to stay flexible. You might have an idea and you're persuaded that this is the thing that they need. But then when you ask, you realize it's maybe close to it or in the same area, but it's not exactly that thing. And that's why they won't buy it at the end. So it's, it's about staying flexible. Yeah. Yeah, and, and don't, don't, I love your friends and family, but don't take them as a vote. Like, <laughs> it's complete strangers who will tell you the truth, which is great. Now we're coming to the end. Time flies as always. If there's one last tip that you would have to give to a woman who just wants to live a life that is more purposeful and more aligned with her values, what would you say? I would say define your own purpose and Live your life every day. Don't put it off as in when I get that job or that pay rise or once my kids are older, I'll start serving myself. Start serving yourself now and you don't need money to do that. You can define your purpose. And if you wake up every day and do a meditation for 10 minutes, a gratitude exercise at the end of the day, make decisions based on your values and make sure that you're tapping into what I call your five extensions. We're all human beings. I've met so many rich people who are unhappy It, it doesn't make you happy money. So all that promotion doesn't. So as long as you are self, family, community, work or business and mother nature, if you're constantly in a beautiful flow and everything in moderation, if I don't go to the beach or go for a walk in nature at least a couple of times a week, my headspace is out. So just be mindful of your rhythm map as I call it and wake up every day and, and take time for yourself. It's only 10 minutes go to sleep, being feeling grateful and just make time for those things that are important to you with intention, that's a pretty purposeful life. And then you'll start seeing things in the community that you go, actually, you know what? I've got these gifts that I could apply there and give back and I'm going to share that with my children. Purpose isn't about some big, I'm going to save the planet sort of stuff. If we all just were happier and showed up in life with abundance and, and purpose, I think the world would be in a different place right now. Everything starts with self. And once you realize how beautiful you are and that you were born with gifts and you are here to give them in abundance, then you just your filter on the world just changes and then opportunities start coming and, and away you go. 
Do you want to get free access to my ebook Top 10 Achievers Lessons? To get your free ebook, all you have to do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Then send me a screenshot of your review to my email address contact at ulrikaseminati.com and I will send you your ebook straight away. This was another episode of Empowering Female Leaders. What are the questions and topics in female leadership that you are interested in? Let me know in the comments on YouTube and Instagram or join our LinkedIn group. I'm excited to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe for new talks with inspiring women from all around the globe. Thank you for listening.